Hey, y'all. I'm Forrest. Hey, Balcony, I see you. Well done. And I like a green lawn. I don't like brown lawns. I like green lawns. And so when we showed up at our house four plus years ago, and we're so thankful for our house, it's really close by, a mile away, and it's beautiful, but the lawn was a little green and a lot brown. And that did not make me happy. And so we still bought the house, but I had a major project in front of me. And so for the last four, five summers, I've been working to slowly cultivate a lawn that's no longer brown. And I've reseeded, and I've got the special soil, and got the special northwest grass seed, and I figured out the sprinklers and put the cups out to see where the, where's it not getting water, and then dug trench after trench and add new sprinklers, and then broke sprinkler lines and had to dig them up again and redo them, and then add another sprinkler, and then add another sprinkler, and another sprinkler. And this summer, for the first time in our time in Spokane, we have a green lawn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always some tweaking to be done, always some things to fine tune, but we are getting there. And I'm very happy about that. My job at our house is to help our lawn flourish. And when our lawn's not flourishing, it's my fault. And so I have to get to work. But I love seeing that lawn flourish. We're going to talk about flourishing today. Jesus. We've heard about in the Gospel of Mark already. He's, he came on the scene and said, and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And, and now we heard him calling the disciples last week with Steffi and like Maddie and all of us hearing this call to follow him. And then chapters 1 and 2 and then now into chapter 3, we see Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God, this kingdom of God that's at hand, in words and actions. He's preaching it, he's going around telling people about the kingdom of God, but he's also enacting it, casting out demons, healing people who are sick. He touches a leper and heals that leper physically, but also socially, one who had been ostracized and no one could be around. He heals a paralytic, but also forgives his sins, healing him physically and spiritually. This is the kingdom of God at hand. Jesus is making things whole. Jesus is bringing flourishing everywhere he goes. Flourishing follows this new king and this new kingdom as Jesus goes around the Sea of Galilee and the northern regions of Israel. So this is good. Things are going well. This is how it's meant to be, right? But this honeymoon of the kingdom of God bringing flourishing everywhere, it doesn't last. See, the problem is, Jesus is proclaiming a new kingdom, but that means it has to displace the existing structures and powers that are in place. Jesus is coming, there's a new kingdom, and it's at hand. Those who are in charge don't like that. They don't want a new kingdom. They don't want something to change. They're just fine how it is. They want to keep it that way. So it's Two summers ago, my family and I got to go camping at Priest Lake on an island. And we have some pictures, I think. As you can see, a little tough sea, but you can see River and Bell pulling our little boat up onto our beach camping spot there. We camped on this beach, but had to get, get there through this little buttons boat we borrowed. And it was great. We had fun. The next slide shows River's first fish he ever caught. That was great. 
and we went out fishing and, and the next one shows this boat. We were out in the boat fishing and we had a great day. It was beautiful out, a little windy, but not bad. And we're fishing and, you know, going along, enjoying it. And, and then it's time to go home. We caught our fish. We had to go home and, catch, and cook that fish, right, and eat it. So we're, we're going and we turn around and start going. And also we realize, wow, that little breeze we felt before, that was a little stronger than we thought. Or maybe it just got a lot stronger, but going into the wind, this is hard. We start going and, and the wind's just blasting us and we're getting water sprayed all over us. The waves are coming into the boat and it's cold and loud and miserable. It was, it was not fun. We, we said, well, we gotta keep going. We gotta get home. We gotta eat this fish. We gotta get to our campsite. But this is not pleasant. Going against the flow is hard and uncomfortable. And this is what's happening with Jesus. He bringing this new kingdom, this kingdom that's going against the flow of the authorities and structures of the world at the time, going against the way the religious leaders wanted to be. And so the religious leaders are pushing back. No, 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 no. Who is this who thinks he can forgive sins? He can't do that. Who is this who calls a sinful, thieving tax collector and then goes and has table fellowship with his sinful, thieving tax collector friends? Who is this who doesn't make his disciples follow the Sabbath law? The religious authorities have a way, a way that the wind's blowing. This is the way it works here. And Jesus seems to be going the other direction. And there's some conflict, splashing, trouble, and Jesus, at the end of chapter two, instead of turning around and saying, oh, I'll go with you, that's all right, I'll, I'll let up, he, he turns up the throttle a little. Oh, yeah? All right. Jesus says this, well, the Son of Man is actually Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is, is one of Jesus' words for himself, his titles for himself from Daniel chapter seven. It's a, it's a reference to this Messiah, this, the new king. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the king who's here and I'm actually in charge of the Sabbath. Your way of understanding it isn't right. Well, that's not gonna make things go easier. All of a sudden, the wind's picking up, the boat's speeding up, and we get to chapter three, where we see this all come to a climax in this conflict. Before we, we read the text, I wanna just remind ourselves, what is the Sabbath? What is the Jewish Sabbath? This is important for us to understand. Remember, it comes from, from the story of creation, God resting on the seventh day, and so he calls his people to be set apart as his people who would also rest on the seventh day. But what's happened over the years since that, that initial commandment over the years, and even to today, is that faithful Jewish people, and the rabbis in particular, have tried to, to parse out what does it mean to rest on the Sabbath? I mean, we're not just sleeping all day. What does it mean? Can I, can I cook food? Can I walk? How far can I walk? What can I and can't I do? Today still, Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem, this, this, they, they follow those same regulations that they were trying to figure out then. In Jerusalem, I was there two summers ago. On Friday afternoon, the streets start getting really quiet. And then empty. There are no cars out in the street. 
And if you go into the elevator uh, uh, during that Sabbath time from Friday at sundown to, until Saturday at sundown, you walk in the elevator, I did this, and you hop in, I'm going to the ninth floor, I press the nine button, and doors will slow to close, but it closes. That that's happens sometimes, right, Devontae? I mean, you know. So then it goes up, and I'm on the first floor, and it goes up to the second floor and opens. No one there, no one here. Why did it stop at the second floor? Up to the third floor, opens. And I realized, this is a Sabbath elevator. I got in the wrong elevator. The Sabbath elevator is so that faithful Jews don't have to work by pushing the buttons. They actually, the Sabbath elevator stops at every floor so you can walk in and get to your level without breaking the Sabbath law. This is how it's worked out. All kinds of different levels, the, the various meticulous ways to think about how do we follow the Sabbath laws. Now this is the context. Now you understand that. Oh, is there one more piece? They also had, had some exceptions. They said, well, you can help someone on the Sabbath if, it's, if their life is threatened, or an animal. If an animal's life is threatened, you can help them on the Sabbath. But if their life is not threatened, if they just need a Band-Aid, then tell them to wait a day, all right? They can handle it. Get the Band-Aid tomorrow, and then we'll do that work. That's how it worked, okay? So now we get to our passage in, in Mark chapter 3. And uh, one of the things, I, I just love it when we read, read Scripture together as the people of God. So if you all can see it, would you read it with me? Ready? Go. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a, a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Thank you. I love that, doing that together. So beautiful. Okay. The Pharisees have noticed this guy going against the stream, and now they're looking out. They're watching. What's he going to do? They want to catch him breaking the Sabbath law. Jesus knows it and, again, picks up the throttle a little more. All right, have this guy stand up. See what happens now. Is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to save life or to kill? We all know the answer, right? They knew the answer, too. They knew the law. And yet, there was more than a withered hand in that room. There were also a bunch of withered hearts. And Jesus cared about both. He was trying to open their eyes. See, they knew, this, they knew the Sabbath law. They knew the Torah, these religious leaders. They knew it. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, you've got to see this. When, when, when the Sabbath law was given in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, this, this is what it says. You have to see this in Deuteronomy 5. I think it's on the screen here. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, or your male, your female slave, or your ox, or your donkey, or your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns, so that the male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. See, the Sabbath... When initially God gave them the Sabbath, the people of God, the Sabbath, 
It was about first about God. God's the God who rested. So as, you're, as people who know God and walk with God, you also rest. It was about God, but it was also about the flourishing of all that God had made. The flourishing of God's creation. The Sabbath was made to be about God and about the flourishing of all that God had made. Male and female, slave, son, daughter, even the animals. In, in Leviticus, we see that actually it's not just even that. The land gets a Sabbath. Every seventh year and every 49th year, an extra year, the land, like Lauren was praying, God cares about the flourishing of all of it. All of his creation, he cares about its flourishing. And the Sabbath, the heart of the Sabbath, is that connection with God and God's heart for the flourishing of all his creation. And so Jesus asked this question, and these hardened, withered hearts don't answer. They stay silent. But before we judge them, we better probably check ourselves, right? How have I focused on my meticulous religious practices, doing the right thing, coming to chapel, reading my Bible, doing my journaling, or not doing certain things, you know, not whatever the list is for you, drinking, smoking, blah, 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 right? Check the boxes. I'll just tell you, for me, in my experience, I've, I did that for many years. Many of those things, but not, was oblivious to the withered hands around me. Like, the way I was oblivious to the racist structures in our world, in our country, that perpetuate evil and injustice and harm and wither the lives of those around me, those people of color around me, that I had no idea about for many years as a thoughtful Christian checking my boxes. But yet, I was missing God's heart for the flourishing of all of his creation. And we all could think of examples like that in our lives. And maybe we all need to ask God to show us more. Well, so Jesus gets angry. You gotta remember, Jesus gets angry. Jesus hates evil. God hates evil, and so Jesus does too. He gets angry, and he also, though, grieves. The word there is this beautiful picture of, of having pain with. It's like Jesus comes and sees these hearts that are not working and says, oh, I just want your heart to work. Oh. And so he shows them again, this is what God's heart is. And the man with the withered hand extends it and what had been withered and there's no life comes alive. This is what happens when God's kingdom arrives. What has no life, what's not flourishing, becomes alive again. And flourishing happens when Jesus arrives on the scene. See, God's heart is for the flourishing. Y'all can come on up. The irony is the Pharisees sadly go out and on that Sabbath day when they wouldn't choose life, they chose to start plotting Jesus' death. Their hearts were so withered. And yet, there's one other group we don't know about. What happens to the rest of the people who are sitting there? See, there are a few Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they're there, but what about everyone else? What about all of us who are sitting there on that Sabbath day, listening and watching Jesus push against this flow of this meticulous law following this, that's been disconnected from the heart of God and God's heart for flourishing. 
What happens to us? What does that rest of the crowd say? Do we, will we recognize God and God's heart for the flourishing of all? And guess what? If one of us does, I bet we wouldn't be alone because I bet someone else would too. And that boat, even though that, that, that wind's coming in our face, I bet there'd be some other ones there with us, breaking wind with us, helping us, encouraging us along the way. What if we prayed that prayer like the founder of World Vision did? May the things that break the heart of God break my heart. What if we said, God, I want my life to be about your kingdom way, which means connecting with you and your heart for the flourishing of all people and all things and all of your creation. I think it would be like this. We wouldn't be alone. We would be together in this. What if we did this together here as a people? I think that's what Jesus is inviting us into. A God and a life with God and a life with God that cares about the flourishing of all that God has made with him. This is the life that Jesus is inviting us to today. Let's stand and worship that God. Amen. Amen. God has called us in Jesus to a life with him, a life with him that cares about the flourishing of all that he has made, a life with him not just following rules, but in communion with him and in that communion with each other. And so we go from here to live that life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.